Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As you have your Bibles uh, or Bible app, go ahead and turn over to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. That's where we'll be. Um, if you're new or visiting, it would be good for you to know that our normal flow and rhythm uh, at this church is to go through uh, books of the Bible in whole, uh, verse by verse, kind of meaning out, uh, mining out rather the meaning uh, in each text to see what God has to say and to apply it practically to our lives and see how Jesus makes all the difference in empowering us to respond to his word. And so we're going to be back in the book of First Timothy next week, but at the beginning of each year... At the beginning of each year, we revisit sort of like one or two of our values as a church, all right? Last week, we looked at some historic biblical priorities that we want to recommit to this year, uh, the means of grace uh, in, in, in the word and prayer and communion and gathering and fellowship. But today, we're going to look at a, take a further look, a deeper look at one of those priorities and values. We're going to take a deeper look at prayer. All right. Um, so, uh, how many of you guys are familiar um, with uh, Masterclass? Right, website. Right, Masterclass. We've got a subscription to that in our home. Uh, if you don't know what Masterclass is, it's like this this online learning uh, platform sort of website that that allows you to take classes from some of the biggest experts in the world in their, in their particular field. They've got all kinds of different fields. And so you can learn like how to cook from Gordon Ramsay or Wolfgang Puck, right? You can learn how to write from Neil Gaiman or, or uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. You can learn how to act from Natalie Portman. You can learn how to do comedy from Steve Martin. You can even learn business strategy from Bob Iger, right? And so our text this morning is sort of like a master class in prayer. A master class in prayer from the Apostle Paul. We're going to learn from Paul, who was a guy who wrote most of the New Testament, uh, on how to pray and what specifically to pray for. And I think, I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest, we can all admit that there is room to grow in our prayer lives, right? There's room to grow in our prayer lives. But, but instead uh, of sort of talking about how all of our prayers are always weak and our prayer time is weak and, and, and coming from this sort of guilt-driven perspective, which would be really easy for me to do, right? What I want to do, rather than doing this guilt-driven perspective, is I want to really look at the beauty and the power of prayer from the Bible's perspective. A grace-saturated and a grace-driven effort in prayer Maybe have us walk away with some new perspectives on how to pray and what to pray for and the power that, that, that prayer has in light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
And so here's our big idea for this sermon, is that we should pray for our spiritual strength. We should pray for our spiritual strength as individuals. We should pray for our spiritual strength as a church. And we should pray this prayer knowing, knowing surely that the power of God is at work through those gospel-shaped prayers. And so let's go ahead and, and get into the text, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. We'll read the first two verses. Paul says this to a church. He says, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your, your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul is about to tell this church in Ephesus how he has been praying for them, what he's been praying for. But before he gets into that, look what he says there. He tells them how much he appreciates them. And so the first question for us to ask is, why does Paul appreciate this church in Ephesus so much? Why does he, as it says, not cease to give thanks for them? The answer comes straight from these verses we just read. It says his appreciation for them comes from what he sees in their lives. A strong faith in Jesus and a love for all the saints, a love for one another and for all the other faithful churches following Jesus too out there. Listen, man, I want you to know that this is something, as your pastor, that I appreciate about you. This is something that I just so deeply appreciate about this church family. As I was reading these verses this week, my heart was swelling up with gratitude, overwhelmed with gratitude for your strong faith in Jesus and your love for one another. I mean, we, we, our, our church has gone through a lot. Like we started uh, at like 2017, towards the, the mid to end of 2017. Um, and then uh, you guys all remember uh, the year of our Lord 2020, right? Uh, we lost some people, right? Um, not like that kind of lost some people, but like we, we lost some people who like used to come to our church and no longer do because uh, many of them moved out of state. Uh, some be, uh, left because of, you know, pol political strife and things like that. Some because they got too comfortable just not meeting in person for a long time. We went through having this cushy situation in a school theater to being virtually homeless as a church for a year, meeting in backyards here and there and eventually changing our service time so, so we could meet again here in, in person, renting from another church. And look, many of you in this room, Many of you in this room endured through all that messiness and all that awkwardness uh, because of your love for Jesus and for one another, because of your faithfulness to the scriptures and the commandments of Christ. You've supported one another throughout that hard time with meals, in some instances, helping one another pay rent. You've walked with each other through grief and loss and cancer over the last year. There are people in this congregation who have also risked comfort and ease in relationships in order to fight for each other's satisfaction in God when things got hard. You've pressed into the spiritual need of community and helped each other overcome addictions and sin patterns. 
We've seen husbands and wives reconciled, family legacies forged and changed, groups, studied, groups getting together to study the Bible, growing in their faith together, praying together, and helping one another grow deeper in the gospel together. And so let me just say, I love this church family. I deeply love this church family. And some of you, some of you have joined us since we moved to this afternoon uh, time. You've joined us since our move to Sunday afternoons, and you've, you've, you've come to love, too, what you see God doing. Uh, you're stoked to be a part of it. Uh, and let me just say, like, for, for many of you, I, I, can't even, I can't even imagine this church family without you guys. Only been here for like a year, uh, maybe a year and a half, maybe, and sometimes even less than that. And I can't even imagine what this church family would look like without you guys. I feel like I can echo Paul's words when he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So I just want to tip my hat to you guys, express my great appreciation for this church family. And as we continue on, we see that Paul reveals what he's praying for, for the Ephesians. He reveals his prayer for the Ephesians. As we walk through this prayer, let's look at it again as a master class on what to pray for. What to pray for each other, what to pray for yourself and your own spiritual growth. And for those who may be new to Christianity here, uh, what you need to know is that prayer is, is simply when we talk to God. That's all it is. Prayer is simply when we talk to God in faith. Scripture, the Bible, is how God talks to us, but prayer is how we talk to God. This could be talking to God out loud in prayer or in a group, but God also knows our thoughts, right? He knows our thoughts. He knows what's in our hearts. And so even like if, if you're someplace like work or some other situation where praying out loud isn't ideal, you could still pray silently knowing that the Lord hears you, that he knows you, that he cares, that he listens. And here's the first point that we see that we sort of derive out from his prayer. The first point is this. We should pray that we would just know God better. Pray that we would know God better. This could be a life-transforming prayer. Look what Paul says in verse 17. He says uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is his prayer. Remember, he was saying, I'm remembering you in my prayers. And then he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in, what does it say? The knowledge of, of him. You, know, you, you heard that right. He prays that these Christians who are clearly already saved, right? because of how he's gushing about them. They're already sealed by the Holy Spirit. They already have saving faith in Jesus. After all, that they're, after all, they're known for their love in Jesus and for the church throughout the world. And here, though, he prays that God will give them a bigger knowledge of him, a better knowledge of him. That's kind of curious, right? Like, do Christians already know God? Or do they need to know God? As Paul's praying here. Paul would say the answer is yes. Yes to both. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who uh, was an, an old preacher, he's now deceased, uh, but he, he left his vocation as a doctor to become a preacher. 
And when he did so, he said he saw that as sort of like a promotion, right? He was leaving the medical field after all the knowledge and all that people he was able to help to be able to, to help them spiritually as, as a pastor and preacher. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, our supreme need, in other words, our ultimate need, our first need, our greatest need is to, what does he say? To know God. You see, our hearts will tend to gravitate towards and be moved by whatever image of God we have in our mind. And so it's best to make sure our knowledge of him is true and grows truer and bigger over time. And look, if you think about it, that is so important because none of us here, none of us here will ever know too much about God in this life. Let me say it this way. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. There's always something new to learn about him, 100%. I became a Christian at the age of 19, uh, started reading my Bible shortly after that, uh, had my mind absolutely blown as my worldview, my understanding of the world and life and purpose and meaning was just radically transformed. And again, and, and, and guess what? I've been reading and studying the Bible uh, uh, ever since for a couple decades now, and, and all the time, I learn new things. All the time, I'm learning new things. And the more we know of him, the more we will grow to love him. The more we will worship him, the more we will be like him. And look, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want? What you feel like, Truthfully, a deep need for, to be more like Christ, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, to display his truth and goodness and beauty to a world that desperately needs him. You see, all of that is wrapped up in knowing God and the truth of his word. And so Paul prays, he says, God, give them your spirit so they would know you more. So these Christians would know you more. Now, isn't, isn't that rad? Like, he, he just spent the first part of Ephesians 1, the first part of chapter 1, just praising God for who he is and what he's done in Jesus. And here in the middle of the chapter, he turns around and he says, now these Christians who already know all that, show them more of it. Show them more of you. Show them more of who you are and what you've done in the world. And so look, you might be a person who right now in your spiritual walk, you, you've been like quoting the same verses that you've always known for a while. You keep going back to the same books you always read, quoting the same day, dead theologians that you always do. And look, that, all that's not necessarily bad. But listen, it's not enough. You can't stop there. The goal is not to have all your theological questions answered, but to have your relationship with the living God always growing. So let me ask you, how is it that you pray? How do you pray for one another? It's been said that the shortest distance between two people is prayer. Some of you might not be great Bible teachers, but you can pray. God wants to move through your prayers. He can move just as powerfully through your prayers as a 
meaningful sermon from the pulpit. It's a great mystery how prayer works, but he promises, God promises to hear us and to move on our behalf when we do. And so how are you praying? Do you thank God when you see faith and love displayed in the lives of your fellow Christians? Do you intercede on behalf of them in prayer, asking God to make them know him in greater and deeper ways? Do you pray these kinds of things for yourself? I mean, if you think about it, this is a needed corrective for how most of us tend to pray, right? Like our tendency is to pray for things to be fixed when they go bad, right? God, help me pay my bills. I don't know how this is going to work out. Help me pay my bills. Help me reconcile this, this relationship. Help, help my mom, my kid, my friend like, get over the sickness, Listen, those, those are all good and right things to be praying about, but, but I wonder, I want you to wonder with me how much we might be missing out on when we don't pray to just know God more fully, to know him better, to know him more, to see him at work more clearly, to have a greater sense of his power that's at work in us, as we get into the scriptures this year, through this Bible reading plan that we're doing as a church, man, let, 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 let's make this our prayer. As we come to and go from our home groups that meet during the week this year, let's make this our prayer for those that God has put us with in our groups, that we would know him more and better, see him more clearly. I believe this kind of prayer could change everything for us. Point number two, he says that we should pray that we would know our hope and our inheritance more truly. This begins in verse 18 when he says, I pray that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, really quick, in the Bible, the, the heart is described as the center of who you are right? So he's not talking about your physical heart, right? Obviously, our physical heart does not have eyes, right? But he's talking about the center of who you are. The Bible also calls it the heart, the wellspring of life. It's not just where your emotions lie, but it's also your intelligence, your, your will, what you, what you value. Who it is that you truly are flows from the spiritual condition of your heart. That's what the Bible says. And so Paul says here, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Now, the way our English translations might work, or, or the, way, the way our English translations work here, they, they, they kind of might throw you off, right? Because when you see the word eyes, uh, what do you think the verb needs to be? You think it needs to be what? Opened, Right? You see the words eyes, you're like, okay, those need to be opened. You're thinking like, oh, he wants the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, but that's not what he says. He prays that our hearts would be, the verb is, enlightened. You see, eyes are opened in order to see, but eyes are enlightened in order to see something unique, something special, something that is hidden maybe, and that might normally be missed otherwise. Alyssa and I, we saw uh, uh, Avatar, the, the, the new one, in 3D uh, the other day on our, on our date night. Um, by the way, 9 out of 10, highly recommend. Um, and because we were watching, 
avatar in 3D, you know, you got to have those 3D glasses on to see the picture the way that you're supposed to see it, to have it really pop. Without those glasses, like, you can see, but what you're supposed to see is actually, like, blurred, right? It's layered. The full image as you're supposed to see it isn't popping for you. And so putting on those 3D glasses so that everything lines up right and the full image just pops is, is kind of like what it, what, it, what it is for your eyes to be enlightened, for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. And so when Paul prays for us, by the way, when he's praying for the Ephesians church, he's praying for churches throughout history. And so when Paul is praying for us to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened in this way, he's praying that we would know God more, that we would know his truth more, that we would be able to see the difference between what brings hope and what is hopeless, that we would not be swayed to love the things of this world and the flesh, but to have our hearts set on God because we see how true and good and splendorous he is. Think about where we live. We live in a land of affluence, right? I know you might be on hard times right now, but like compared to the rest of the world, even compared to other cities in our state, we're living pretty, pretty comfy out here to one degree or another. And that kind of prosperity with the comforts and conveniences that come along with us, they, they, they tempt us to see the eyes of our, or to set the eyes of our heart on things that will never satisfy the soul, things that will never fulfill us truly. But they're just good enough. They're just satisfying enough to tempt us away from God. And so Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would be filled, that you would be filled in the depths of your heart with the light of God, that your heart would know him and desire him and know truth and desire truth. Look, Paul doesn't just stop with this general prayer for our eyes, the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. He, he prays that our hearts would be enlightened specifically for a purpose. Look at verse 18 again. And that purpose is that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What he's praying for is that we would have a deep and real tangible grasp of the hope that he has called us to that you would have a certain hope, a sure hope, based on your salvation, on God's eternal choice of you, of his effectual calling of you, to make you born again from death into new life, to take you out of the darkness and place you into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And because he's done that, because of that, you can have real hope, real hope in this fallen, messed up world. He's saying you can have real hope in this world because you know that the you know the one, you personally know the one who came to restore it. Because you know the good news of Jesus, the Lord. 
that God the Father sent God the Son down to earth to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live among us and to live as one of us, that he lived without sin, that he died in our place for our sins, that he rose from the grave conquering evil, sin, Satan, death, that he ascended after his resurrection uh, into heaven, And today is ruling and reigning from his great throne. And that one day, one day he will return. He will come back to make all things finally new. To put the end to all despair and end to all tears and end to death and sickness and decay. That is the hope to which we are called. And he says that this hope is the glorious inheritance of the saints. Now, when Paul's talking about God's glorious inheritance in the saints, we actually don't know if it's referring to his inheritance in in us or our inheritance in him. But listen, the idea behind both of those statements, both of those ideas and concepts is true. Did you know that God considers you his inheritance? In verse 14, it talks about how God redeems us as his possessions. That's a Greek word that literally means inheritance. It was the part of the wealth that you got uh, uh, from your father's estate. You see, back in those days, it wasn't a very capitalistic society, and so you couldn't move up the ladder, you couldn't move down the, the ladder. It was, there was no social ladder. It was more of like a hierarchy. It was a tribal society. And so once you got your inheritance... That's what you got. That was your wealth, your assets. And so there's this amazing statement in verse 14. It's clearer in some translations than others, but it says that we are God's possession. We are his inheritance. In other words, we are his wealth, his treasure. When you think about it, that's wild. It tells us this is how valuable you are to him. He considers you Christian. His treasure. That is how valuable you are to him in spite of your sin, in spite of your screw-ups, in spite of your hang-ups. And let's be honest, there are many of them. But in spite of that, you are valuable to him. You're his treasure, his inheritance. But it's also true in some sense that he is our inheritance. We know the future that he has for us because of what the scriptures proclaim. We know that he's what he's preparing for us in glory. The Bible says that one day we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ over all creation. And look, if you know that by faith, and if you see that by faith, if the eyes of your heart have been enlightened to see it and to know it, then that changes everything. When you think of your glorious future inheritance, it will empower you to live better for today. J.I. Packer, who's the author of Knowing God, a fantastic book and my my top five Christian books that I think everyone should read. J.I. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, then most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. See, marathon runners know a little bit about this. Um, after uh, uh, some of you are probably like, 
what do you know about marathon running? Uh, I talked to a runner this week. He told me this. <clears throat> so marathon runners know this, that about after about two hours into running a marathon, which is like 15th to 20th mile mark for, for most runners, um, the body starts to break down, runs out of carbs, runs out of uh, sugar, glycogen, and it begins burning fat stores in the body for fuel, which is like excruciating on the body. Runners call this bonking, so I've been told, uh, or, or hitting the wall, right? Like you've probably heard that term. You start, to feel, you start to feel weakness. You start to feel fatigue. You might feel slow and weak. And what keeps a runner going at, at that point is just knowing that soon enough there's an end to their strenuous effort that there is rest and reward on the other side of it, at the end of it, plus a bonus sticker you get to stick on the back of your car, right? And look, when you, when you, think, when you think of your glorious inheritance that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ because of his life, death, resurrection, ascension, his promise to come back and make all things right again, when you think of your glorious inheritance, you will, you will have courage to press on. If you know how loved that you really are, what you've been promised in Christ, you'll be able to obey in the midst of temptation. If you know how loved and secure you are, you'll be able to face hard things and stand in the face of evil. Faith is seeing the unseen, and it is acting according to what you don't see in the face of what you do see. And so he gives us, he prays for, that we would know our hope and our great inheritance in Christ more truly. Lastly, point number three, we should pray that we would see and savor the power of God at work in us. See and savor the power of God that's working in us. Read verses 19 through 23 with me. It says, he prays and also that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, under Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You notice Paul's just piling it on, right? With the, that passage, he's piling on reason after reason after reason for you to believe in the power of God. He wants you to believe it. He clearly wants us to know the surpassing power and surpassing greatness of his power, of God's power. You see, when we look, if we're honest, when we look at ourselves, we know that we are weak, that we are spiritually weak. And our weaknesses seem no match for the trials that come our way, for the challenges we run across and face. 
And what Paul wants you to know is that the same power, the same great power that is at work in us, in our sanctification, our growing in his grace, is the same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead, rose him from complete deadness to new life, and seated him at the right hand of God the Father. I mean, do you see what Paul's doing in this prayer? In this prayer, he's he's trying to encourage us, to galvanize us, to bring up our spirits. So when you look at your weakness, when you're feeling spiritually weak, when pressing on in faith is hard, and when you're feeling spiritually dry and far away from God, he says here, he says, look, I want you to remember in those moments. You might find it hard to believe, but the same power that reached into the tomb of Jesus Christ and raised him from the dead, the Jesus who was beaten, the Jesus who was crucified, who was pierced from the side to make sure that he was dead, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you, in you to make you look more like Jesus from the inside out. And so look, when you're feeling down like, you've never, like you're, you'll never be spiritually mature in Christ, remember that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you to conform you into the image of God's Son. That's good news. That's gospel. Good news. Man, our lives would be so transformed if we made a regular habit of praying for one another in this way. If we prayed for ourselves in this way, instead of only thinking to pray when things get messed up, what if we prayed proactively in this kind of way? Paul is saying, I want you to have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can know God, so that you can desire God. So you can desire him more than anyone else in the world. So that you can desire his gifts more than anything else this world has to offer. And so that you can find satisfaction in God and his gifts in ways that the world and its gifts can never satisfy. If our times in prayer came to this point, I believe everything would radically change for us. May God make it so. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.